When I was young, I learned that love was all about romantic comedies, Valentine's Day, chocolate, and flowers. A lot of capitalist heterosexual BS. Now I know that real love is ferocious, it's terrifying, and it's a catalyst for change. I'm Ethan Lipsitz, and I created Love Extremist Radio as a platform to engage with people who are on the front lines of wrestling with and redefining love on their terms. They're activists, artists, and creators, all making change in their communities and the world. Thanks for being here. Together, let's define what it means to be a love extremist. Love is the truth. Love is the truth. Love is the truth. Love is the truth. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Ethan. We're back at it again. It's been a while. It's been a little while. Yeah. It's nice to see you. We haven't talked in so long. We've been living together. <laughs> Not talking. For weeks. For weeks and months. <laughs> Welcome back to Love Extremist Radio intro with Michelle and Ethan, two people who are deeply in love, engaged <laughs> to be Mauweed, currently in the throes of wedding planning. Well, not the throws, but the it's early It's more like stages, a sporadic seizure every now and then. Which we know very well. <laughs> yeah. Seizures are our lang- love language, you could say. <laughs> they kind of are. Yeah. <laughs> funny, not funny. Um, but uh, yesterday was the 4th of July. Tomorrow. It was also, it's the, it was the full moon eclipse in Capricorn. It measure it was all, it was basically like a two year anniversary almost for us in right. terms of our meeting, and signified kind of a cycle of what these eclipses that were taking place. Yes, so the eclipse cycle went back to two years ago, July thirteenth, twenty eighteen. So if when we met, that was no. literally the exact day that we met. Was it? Yeah, Friday it was, the thirteenth. Yeah. Yep, spooky. It was a full moon eclipse on that day. And we just so, watched Apollo 13 yesterday. Yep. Not a coincidence, my friends. Winks from the universe. Hey, you. Um, yeah. So everything that you maybe started two years ago around that time or what you were going through around that time may be coming to an end now or be might maybe entering into a new sort of, I don't know. Cycle. Cycle. Yeah. Cycle's the right word. I was just reading the New York Times about how bikes are back in fashion. So cycle. They never left. Yeah, bikes are cool. I hope you're riding. Makes your life better if you ride a bike. That's, I really think that's so. That's true. That's true. Life is good on a bike. That's true. So yeah, tomorrow is the sixth of July. We're gonna re- we're we're releasing this intro just before Wendy Carrillo um, and my conversation with her. She is an incredible um, kind of leader of this district um and that, in I, LA. that we live in in la mm-hmm. and represents us in sacramento and we have a lot far-reaching conversation that took place before the racial uprisings in the wake of the killing of george floyd um, and ahmed Arbery, um but after covid had begun so we were speaking mostly on pandemic issues but also just finding love in politics and it was a good combo nice Wendy's also a mask, uh, love extremist mask wearer and love extremist pin wearer. She's a, extraordinary. She's a real love extremist and has been fam for a long time. I'm proud to call her a friend. And uh, yeah, if you haven't checked them out, Love Extremist Radio actually has a mask department. 
And we are actively producing masks. Uh, check it out on the website, extremist.love. You can see them. And then also uh, working on a new project called the Window Mask, which we tested out today at Whole Foods. Yep. It was great. Didn't I tried to like spark up a conversation with the checkout person. She wasn't having it. I smiled at her. She, she smiled at me. How but do you know she smiled? You can't see her mouth. She gave me like eye wrinkle smiles. Nice. Yeah, isn't that weird? You can't. So the window mask as is what it sounds like. It's a window. It's a window to your mouth. And Michelle helped me f- come up with a name. <laughs> yeah, that brilliant name. <laughs> hey. Hey, sometimes simple's what you need, you know? Just like tell Make people it what it is. Yeah. You see how these mask companies called like Nana Mama and it's like, <laughs> cool. What do you make? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, we're not trying to be the next Lululemon. Exactly. We're just trying to be a window exactly. mask. Okay. Exactly. Let's just be real. It's, it's 2020. Not, Tell listen, it like it is. It's called clarity, my friends. And Literally. It is. Whoa, that's so next level. It's pretty meta. That's actually a great that's window a mask. Line. It's called clarity, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta say that. Other than the window masks, what's making you? You, what are you loving this last week oh, man. and last few I'm glad weeks? Glad we got back into the workout. Although today's workout was tough, I did it, it after re- breakfast. Really and it was tough, really difficult. Yeah. Um. So that's been interesting. We're uh, back in the hit workouts. Back in the hit workouts. Alluding to, um, we're not going to gyms yet. No. No way. No well, way. We're kind of hunkering down for uh, ever. Yeah. <laughs> quarantine round dose. <laughs> <laughs> Which is essentially just this continuation of round one. Um, thinking about maybe a little vacay, having some socially distant dinners and meals with people that yes, we love. Yes, really nice in our house. It's been cool. We have a little outdoor indoor setup, so we can open some French doors, and it's almost like we're in the same room. Yes, but we're still distant. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, just excited to be. I don't know, kind of recognizing this time still feels like uh, a time of evolution and of learning and of growth and and recognizing my place here with love extremism and starting to ask deeper and more impactful questions around um, my role as a white man and, and race and also how this podcast and this project can contribute to furthering the conversation and the actions that we take around our privilege. That's what you like? Mm. What I'm thinking about. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I'm proud. I mean, I'm proud to do this. I, yeah. I love this. I'm really excited to reconnect this week and have an interview, which will come out weeks from now, with an old friend of mine who I was my kindergarten best friend, who I haven't spoken to in years, and we just reconnected 20 years later. There you go. What are Fortune you psyched connections. about? Um, I'm really liking just being home. Mm. Um, honestly, like I kind of like. That they're like, no, 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 stay home. You know, like, as opposed to like, maybe we're going to open this week. Maybe we're not going to open this week. Maybe you can travel. I don't know. I just like kind of like when things are clear, you know, mm. even though I'm, it's devastating that people are getting sick and like that this isn't going anywhere anytime soon and that we have so much to think about in terms of the economy and making sure people don't get evicted um, and that they get what they need in yeah. order to support themselves. Mm-hmm support ourselves Mm -hmm. um i like when there's a consensus because that makes me feel more safe even though maybe i'm not um that's a little bit of my black and white thinking coming into play um i'm loving our vacuum oh yeah we got a new knockoff Roomba. yeah (laughs) roaming around the house i'm obsessed with it um i'm loving it it is really making me happy because we've just been sort of living in our own filth Mm -hmm. 
We're a hairy, we're a hairy bunch, we're us hairy and Bonnie. Bunch. Yeah, we so are. there's a lot of hair all over our house. And then finally, I'm loving the buttons that Bonnie. Oh yeah. We. So I'm inspired by this TikTok account called Hunger for Words, where they basically taught this very smart animal dog how to talk in full sentences using these buttons that like each button says a different thing like mom or eat or outside. So we're teaching Bonnie outside food and cuddles. And so far, she's kind of nailing it. She's definitely got outside. Food's coming next. She's, food's a close second. Food's Yeah, she's coming close with food. And uh, cuddles, I think it'll take a little while, but she's, she'll get it. Yeah, because we don't really use that word. No, we don't. So like, we no. maybe it could be like, love you. Maybe that's what we should say. Either way. We don't love use that you. either. We kind of use that. I use it all the time with her. What are you talking about? Fair enough. I whisper in her ear almost every night. <laughs> You're such a good girl. I love you. You do do that. It's wonderful. I love that about you. Because I think all the time about death. Mm. And I don't want her to die. And not like I don't want to I don't want her to die. And I don't want her. I don't want to be like, wow, I should have told her that she was a good girl more often. You know, mm. I want to be like, I told her she's a good girl every day. Pro tip, folks. Think more about death. <laughs> and it'll make you love harder. <laughs> real this is a real that's a it real theme real. as a love extremist it's actually uh, should be a tenant of our of our platform because it's something we talk about a lot and it's it's a real thing it's true well so anyways let's let's <laughs> on that let's, note. let's hear it for wendy carillo uh well i hope you enjoy this please if you do share it with your friends also want to give a shout out to madam gandhi for the new intro and outro music the and sarafina uh, for for collaborating with us on this and um, you Michelle also were instrumental in helping me language that intro oh. and I, was uh, like, I did no writing of, of that song no but you Please. were you you rocked me with uh, some of the, some of the language <laughs> for and it's uh, something I'm really excited to have collaborated with Madam Gandhi and Sarafina on and I hope you enjoy it it's so, so good without further ado here's Wendy Carillo love you Michelle love you bye Wendy Carrillo was elected to serve in the California State Assembly in December 2017. She represents the 51st Assembly District, which is home to close to 500,000 residents in the city of Los Angeles, unincorporated East Los Angeles, and includes some of the most historic and iconic communities in the city, including mine here in Cypress Park. Prior to being elected to office, Assemblywoman Carrillo was a broadcast journalist for 12 years covering human rights, global conflict, and U.S. politics. She's been an advocate for education, immigration reform, environmental justice, healthcare for all, job creation, and innovation. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you for having me, and what's up, Cypress Park? Yeah, yeah. what's up, El Sereno, just right? down the street? <laughs> then it is a hot day in Los Angeles today. It's crazy, I know. We've, like, had the AC on blasting. And I might have to turn on the fan now because it was almost too cold. But um, yeah, the weather, the weather and traffic, very L.A. conversations. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but you're just back from an eventful week in Sacramento. How, how was it? It's our, our first week back after we went into what's called recess, which is when we come back home. We went into recess early because of COVID-19. Mm hmm. Uh, have been in the district for about eight weeks and then we returned just this past Monday to continue doing the work necessary in the legislature. Yeah. Was there any, yeah, any so major motions on the table or was it all COVID related stuff or? 
Well, I think this is a, an interesting time in that, you know, none of us have lived through something like what we're living now, but it doesn't mean that it hasn't happened in the past. Mm -hmm. And so we're just trying to figure out how we use technology in a way to ensure that we continue to do the work of the legislature and also be able to include things like public comment and make these meetings uh, available uh, to the public while at the same time uh, doing social distancing and wearing masks and ensuring there's health and safety for all those involved. So if, if I wanted to make public comment in the legislature mm -hmm. today, would I have to show up in Sacramento to do so? Or are there ways to do that via the phone or the computer? It's very limited uh, in terms of who's able to enter the Capitol. And right now, the public is not allowed to enter mm -hmm. the Capitol, only if you actually have business in, in the building. But you are able to join um, online and make your comments over the phone. Got it. Okay. Well, that feels pretty accessible. Yeah. 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 But it's, you know, it's never been done. So it took some time to figure out totally. how we can do it and how we can make sure that that happens. Totally. So I've known you since pre-politics and <laughs> have always been curious what your vision was for getting into it. Why did you choose to run for office? Well, you have been an, an amazing friend and, um, you know, you hosted me at your home when I first ran for Congress right. right after right after the 2016 presidential election. My congressional race was the first congressional race uh, in the country. It was a special election, mm -hmm. um, came close to winning, but did not win and then decided to run for the, assemb the vacated assembly seat because the assembly member of our community uh, won the congressional race. And at the time, if you remember 2016 and then early 2017, when, again, that election happened, uh, what, was, what was at the table then? What was going on in the news? And we had a, a situation and a president that was going after immigrant communities, was going after Latino communities. He was going after the Muslim community, LGBT community, women and so remember the first women's march, which oh, I, yeah. I, I actually spoke at that um, right. and launched my congressional campaign there. And so it was just a, at the time, this feeling of we needed to do more and represent. And the feeling, Ethan, wasn't new to me. It wasn't new to you. It wasn't new to a lot of people that have been in the work of social justice for a long time. But it was almost a, an awakening for uh, everyday people to become engaged politically. And that was exciting. And I think because of what we're living now, we've kind of forgotten that a, a, a little bit. Mm. And, to re and to remind ourselves, like, there is something that we can do to make a difference in our local communities across the state of California and certainly across, across the country. And so for me, it was how do how do I, with my lived experience of having grown up in this community, grown up in this neighborhood and these communities that now I have the privilege of representing, but I'm, you know, my story is, is not unique. I'm a formerly undocumented um, young girl uh, that came to the United States uh, fleeing a civil war in El Salvador. Mm -hmm. the first in my family to do a lot of things like go to a high school here go to college here first generation american and the eldest of five girls 
working class parents, right? Um, the pursuit of the American dream, becoming a resident, a citizen, and mm. now and now representing politically my own community. I mean, that's what we should be fighting for. And I think that's what drives me every day. It's incredible for just I get chills every time you share your your biography because it is so much more than what I shared. It's <laughs> it's it's yeah, that history of coming from El Salvador and being the oldest in your family uh, of five girls and and yeah, going to Lincoln Heights High and uh no, Roosevelt. Oh no, Roosevelt. Oh, <laughs> Don't no. get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. What? Why did I think you went to Lincoln Heights? My bad. I'm sorry. Okay. Forgive me. I forgive you. I, Lincoln I, Lincoln High School is still in the district though. So It is. I know. Yes. I know. It's part of the part of the many schools that were part of the walkouts in the 19 uh, in 1968. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm curious if that vision from 2016 still holds for you or if you feel like it's shifted, if you feel like things have evolved now that you're in office and you're an assembly person. I think that personally, those feelings are still there. That foundation is still there. But what I think we have experienced as Americans, it's just as a, as a national community, is this constant feeling of being surprised new and something terrible coming out of the White House every time. It's almost mm. as we become like, a, uh, like what's a, I'm, I'm at a loss for words right now, but um, constantly being abused, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm, I'm forgetting the term right now, but, and so we forget what, what drives us because in an hour, there'll be something new. Tomorrow, there's something new. The week after that, it's like, oh, it just it never stops. And mm-hmm. so it's like a constant attack to our, to our senses and our sensibilities. Um, and so it becomes draining and you want to just kind of shut it off. Mm-hmm. But we have to remember why we're doing it in the first place. Well, and do you find that your work as an assemblywoman is directly tied to what's happening in the White House or does it feel a lot more localized and California oriented or Los Angeles oriented? It's a little bit of everything. So I have a policy, my team and I have a policy that we do very district focused agenda. We have a very district focused agenda. So we take Mm -hmm. we take care of Los Angeles. Los Angeles is the second largest city in the country. It is the largest city in the state of California. LAUSD is the second largest school district in the country, the largest school district in the state of California. Whatever we do here at home has a direct impact across the state. And the state, being the fifth largest economy in the world, is a leader amongst our, you know, our, um, our country and sets the mm-hmm. tone in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. so the saying goes, where California goes, so does the nation. And so even though it's, it's local, it's our city, it's our community and our state, it does have a national impact and the country has a global impact. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, those stakes are high. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least, yeah. So this is Love Extremist Radio, and I certainly want to know how you define love. But since we're talking about politics, I'm curious to hear where you're finding love in politics these days. That's a super loaded question because I'm still single, bilingual, and ready to mingle. So I could still <laughs> twofold. Um, so there's the, the personal aspect of love, 
of being young, of being a woman, of, you know, God, I, I hope to be able to find personal love one day. Um, and then there's the love of, of community. And mm-hmm. the love that you feel when you go to an event and you know that what you've done has helped someone. And that feeling, you know, when I was um, uh, campaigning and we send out mailers, right? There's a mailer that we say, oh, this is who I am. This is my family, right? So it's like a photo of my mom and dad and my sisters and we're like loving, right? It's one of those, those kind of photos. And it just explains like, I grew up here. My parents are, you know, working class, immigrants, first generation, right? The whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm Later, after I had won, I had a community coffee uh, here in El Sereno at um, Antigua, uh, mm-hmm. a local restaurant. And they were really gracious and they opened up their restaurant for me to have this community coffee here. And we were expecting maybe 20 people to show up. More like 80 people showed up. Wow. And one of the, the women that showed up was um, a woman, a Latina woman close to my age who said, my, um, my mom really wanted to come, but she couldn't because she's elderly now. And, you know, we want to keep her safe at home uh, because of her health. But she wanted me to tell you that she has that photo of you and your family on her altar next to the Virgin Mary. And she lights a candle and she prays for mm. you and your family every night. Oh, wow. That's so beautiful. And I'm getting goosebumps just sharing that story because you never know who, whose lives you're going to touch. And this, this family has a very similar experience and story as my own. And you, you have to remember that the people that are sometimes the loudest and the most critical um, don't represent your entire community and that there are people that still need representation and that are hoping that you remember their lives and that you find a way to make their lives a little better. Mm-hmm. And so me being uh, an immigrant, knowing that immigrant experience to this family felt like she gets us. She's one of us. She's going to represent us. Know mm. what I mean? That's so beautiful. Yeah, that was very touching. Very touching. And I have to remember those moments. So when you ask that question, like, what is love in politics? Like that, that moment right there. Mm. Have you found that same kind of connection with people who have a completely different worldview or life experience from you? In, in what sense, like in terms of how they define or find love in, in this? No, I guess I mean in terms of your constituents. Like, do you feel like you have that type of support um, from people who who come from very different sides of the spectrum, right? Like this, this district is certainly very multicultural uh-huh. um, and is also a place where there's a lot of attention um and investment and mm-hmm. and gentrification mm-hmm. and you know um folks who who look more like me showing up every day um and i wonder if you're feeling supported and and kind of connected to that part of the evolution of the district i think that there's there's a there's a skill that you learn it's called code switching in which uh, you're able to traverse into various different um, environments. Uh, And it is a a learned skill. And if you're, you know, coming from the bottom, now we're here, right? You start at the, you start at the (laughs) bottom 
and then figure out ways to get in the room where it happens, right? Uh, to quote Hamilton and a little bit of Drake. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, for me, I have found that I, I can do that. Um, and mm -hmm. oftentimes when you enter different rooms with different perspectives, there is often privilege in those rooms. And I have to yep. remind myself and often the voices of the family that I just mentioned who mm. aren't in the room, who don't know how to get into the room, but who are mm -hmm. relying on me to represent them in that room. And mm -hmm. yeah, I've never have had a problem doing that. <laughs> and I will continue and I will continue to do that. Sometimes I think, uh, you know, the, the issue with gentrification is, is super interesting. And we've talked about this before, but when you move into a, a neighborhood and you embrace that neighborhood and you become a part of that neighborhood, that's not gentrification. But, right. but when you move into a neighborhood and are bothered by what the neighborhood looks like, smells like, the sounds and the music uh, and the people that have made it thrive, then yeah, then you're a part of the problem. And mm -hmm. so there's a very, there's a big difference in that. Um, and I think that that's something that our community is facing. Uh, and even right now through a, a housing crisis, a homelessness crisis, how do we ensure that neighborhoods um, continue to uh, have their identity and that the people that have lived in these communities for decades are also the beneficiaries of communities that change for the positive? Right. So if mm -hmm. we get if we have lower crime rates and less gangs, then you should be able to thrive in that community and not be priced out. And right. so that's that's happening quite a bit. Um, and it's sad. And I think even now with with covid and all of our small businesses and small mom and pop restaurants that are closing that may not be able to come back with an economic without an economic recovery boom like or boost like that's going to that's going to hurt. Um, and mm. we have to figure out how we keep the authenticity of a neighborhood and what makes something a neighborhood. So Assembly District 51, as you mentioned in your beginning, is is home to some of the most historic neighborhoods in the city of L.A. Everything you can imagine yep. surrounding Dodger Stadium, Echo Park, mm -hmm. Highland Park, Mount Washington, Eagle Rock, Lincoln Heights, Chinatown, El Sereno. This is where the city was founded. This is where the city was. Exactly. Placito Olvera in the district. Mm -hmm. of unincorporated East LA and what divides us is literally a freeway the 110 freeway and on one mm. side of the freeway where you have hills and open space and uh, very expensive turning neighborhoods and more people with more uh, that are more affluent uh, and more connected politically perhaps and know when to call their member of congress or their representative or their city council member and then on the other side, you have a highly uh, immigrant community. And it's always been largely dense as an immigrant community. Uh, but neighborhoods are changing. But on the, on the east side, you have, a neighbor, you have a community that is 20% below the national poverty line. Mm. And this is all one big, giant community divided by a freeway. So mm -hmm. do people get an opportunity to cross over that freeway? And understand yes. that, you know, we may be a, a little different, but at the end of the day, we all want the same things. We want to be able to achieve right. the American dream of buying a home, sending your kids to a good school, 
being able to put food on the table, being able to have your lights and your water on, not be kicked out of a neighborhood that you grew up in. Um, and all of these things for a lot of people are becoming less and less attainable. Well, that makes me ask the question, do you think the American dream is changing? Or do you think the dream remains the same, but the realities of achieving it are what's changing? I think the latter, you're absolutely on point. Um, it used to be that you can have one job and one job should be enough. And mm -hmm. you used to be able to afford to buy a home, afford to buy a car, mm -hmm. afford to go, afford to send your, your kid to, to school, to college. None of that is attainable anymore. The average price of a home in our community is well over $500,000. That's half a million dollars for a home, a small little two bedroom somewhere, right? right? And if you are trying to go to school and maybe you want to be a doctor and maybe you've achieved that, right? Now you're getting out of college with $200,000, if not more, in debt. And where are you going to practice? And that's even if you had the opportunity to go to college and become a doctor. But what if you went to right. college and became a teacher and your starting salary is 60 grand? And mind you, that's nothing to, to, to scoff at, but what can you afford? Mm -hmm. Even with student loans. So right. it's just these professions that we used to think um, were what we wanted to aim for and that you could uh, it's just becoming harder. And what if you didn't go to college? What if you're working class? What can, what can you buy? It's just, it's just, it's tough. You, yeah, it's extremely tough. And I, I know that you have a history in, you know, advocating in labor unions and, and being kind of part of a voice for the, for the working class for much of mm -hmm. your life. Where, where do you see um, kind of remedies for this? Do you think it's, it's on local and national government mm -hmm. to step in and start to regulate, you know, salaries mm -hmm. or regulate real estate or like, you know, who needs to be regulated and supported and who needs to be told, you know, this isn't right? I think every level of government needs to be involved in the issue of income inequality. And mm -hmm. the fact that one job hasn't been enough for a lot of people for a long time. So just mm -hmm. before all this hit, in downtown L.A., Unite Here is a big union that represents um, hotel workers. Maybe from 30 to 40,000 members and people that were working downtown at all of the hotels, maybe about 4,000 of those continue to be employed. Wow. The dramatic shift and someone's ability to earn a paycheck. And those salaries don't pay much. Even with the state right. going to $15 an hour, that's still not enough to be able to afford a, a nice, uh, spacious apartment for you and your family. And so it just becomes right. more and more of those that have and those that, and the have-nots, right? And we've heard this, this argument. So on, on the city side, it's the rent ordinance are, is important on the state side, fixing legislation that addresses housing is important and making housing um, more accessible in how we build and how we build affordable housing in certain regions. On the federal side, of course, um, the conversation around income inequality is incredibly important and having members of Congress that understand that. 
um, in addressing uh, the gaps. And so it, it plays it plays out at at various different levels, um, and so various um, various government levels. Yeah, I I I don't know the state. I haven't been following closely mm-hmm. along with the the state of the budget, but I understood that California was in a surplus relatively recently. Mm-hmm. Um, is that still that the is case? not the case at all anymore, my friend? Um, in in fact, okay. Okay. it's timely that we're having this conversation because. Uh, the governor's office just put out their their you know estimations for the budget after all of the spending and um, all of what we've lost in revenue uh, in tax revenue to the state. And while we may have been eight weeks ago at a twenty billion dollar surplus, right? Oof. That's a nice chunk of change. We yeah, eight weeks. <laughs> we are now in a $50 billion deficit projected for the next, for the next wow. two years. So we in the legislature will have a tough time in figuring out how we cut our losses and how we start to trim on certain programs. And that's, that's going to hurt. And that hasn't been the case for 10 years in the last recession that we had. Um, right when there was also the foreclosure crisis, right? Just actually literally like about 10 years ago. And so with economists across the country saying that we are there, we're headed in that direction of a recession, how do we, when the time is appropriate and safe, reopen the economy? Hmm. I also wonder what are the economic drivers? I mean, I think so much about Silicon Valley, of course, but there's other economies, certainly entertainment mm-hmm. here in Los Angeles and um, historically apparel, maybe less so these days. But, um, you know, there, there's shipping and trade, right, with the port of mm-hmm. Los Angeles. I, I, I wonder, like, are these industries like is there kind of fear of regulation because they could move with the drop of a hat to texas or nevada or some other state i haven't i haven't quite heard that uh just yet because it's a global pandemic so it's moving to if you're a company in silicon valley and you're thinking about leaving california going to texas you're going to find the same issue well right i mean i'm I'm kind of before mm -hmm. the pandemic is there like concern of regulation on these industries or like coming out of the pandemic even because that could compel certain large corporations to leave and that would reduce tax revenue and things like that. I think it's a conversation to be had in terms of what California does to boost the economy. How do we ensure that California is a state that is producing jobs, which is, you know, a Mm -hmm. priority, but it's all, I think, parallel with California's priority to be able to, I think in many ways, re-envision education. And this is a a national thing Mm. as well. What we've discovered after COVID, and we knew this before, the studies have been there, is that the population does not have their needs met when it comes to um, the availability of doctors and nurses. In California, there is a shortage of nurses. There is a shortage of doctors. Uh, At the same time, you ask the question, well, why is there a shortage? Do we not have people going into medicine? Do we not have students wanting to become doctors? And the question, the answer is yes, 
but it is incredibly expensive and limited. So what can we do to expand the pool of making a career in medicine more approachable? And not only is there a shortage of doctors and nurses, but there's a shortage of culturally and language competency within this profession. And so how do we get more Mandarin speakers, more Spanish speakers to go into this profession? And I'm not, I'm not just speaking about ethnicity. I'm speaking about language. So you don't, ha- you don't have to be Latino right. to know Spanish, right? Of course not. <laughs> But I'm saying you have to you have to um, be able to communicate with the people that you intend to serve. And that's that's something that needs to be addressed. And so I say that because I think there needs to be an investment in education an investment starting young. Right. Having like imagine having a system that that instead of having a, a school to prison pipeline, which is what we have in California. We have a school to doctor uh, uh, medicine, university, Mm. right? We have a a Mm -hmm. pipeline of real like STEM programs that can Mm -hmm. ensure we have the next generation of Californians where this will be accessible. Something called a long time ago, the California Master Plan on Education that hasn't really been fully implemented. The vision the vision is there. Mm. The dream is there. There's no funding for it or it hasn't really been a priority. And so, you know, I'm glad. You- Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, I'm glad you're bringing up prisons because there has been some movement lately, it seems, in re-diverting resources that were going towards prisons to education and mental mm-hmm. health resources. California. Are you seeing progress? Well, um, I would say that in our generation, um, California has built more prisons than it has universities. And so when you build prisons, Mm -hmm. you have to house people in them. And the majority of the people in California that are in prison look like me. They look like my cousin. They come from the communities I represent. And so California has been spending about $78,000 a year in incarcerating one individual. That's how much it costs the taxpayer, you and me, to incarcerate one person annually. It, and wow. yet, at the same time, our tax dollars also only invest about $13,000 a year in K-12 through education per student. Imagine mm. if those roles were reversed. And the, and the potential. And the prisons are privately owned, Some right? Some are uh, private prisons. And, but in fact, we actually passed legislation last year that ends the private prison system here in California. But these are state-run facilities mm. the, through the California wow. Department of Corrections. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's just, I think, mind-boggling when you think about how much we are willing to pay to have somebody be incarcerated with our tax dollars when we could be right. using those funds to actually educate someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even, wow. and, and here's something else to think about. There's been a lot of work done, positive work done to ensure that um, we are reforming our criminal justice system. 
where folks that shouldn't be locked up for 20 years don't spend 20 years of their lives for a petty crime inside bars, right? But we also, at the same time, while we release um, the, that population back into society, we have to make sure that there's a safety net there, that they have the ability to get a job, to get an education, to become a uh, member of society, and not just uh, go back on the street, potentially be homeless, not have an opportunity to get a job because they have a criminal record, not be able to fully participate, right. and then they get back into a cycle and end up back in prison. That doesn't help anybody, and it certainly doesn't help mm-hmm. our society nor that individual. Right. Yeah, it, there's it's such a terrible cycle, and they've been excluded from mm-hmm. participating in politics. And we're trying, and, and we're trying to change that. You know, so mm-hmm. many jobs. And we're trying to change that. Yeah, yeah. Great. So, what is one or two of your top priorities when, when right now, in terms of your initiatives you're looking at and your political Here's something agenda. to think about. Um, if you are undocumented in the state of California and really across the country, you can still work and receive uh, what's called an ITIN number. It's a, it's a, a number that I, that's like a personal identification tax number. There are 1.2 mm-hmm. billion um, I-10 taxpayers in the state of California. And they bring in about wow. $3.2 billion in taxes to the state. I'm sorry, it's 1.2 million, not billion. 1.2 million people. Ten taxpayers in the state of California, and they bring in $3.2 billion okay. um, in taxes to the state. Through this pandemic, I-10 I taxpayers uh, are not eligible to receive any kind of federal aid or any kind of state aid. They mm-hmm. don't qualify for unemployment benefits, but they're paying into a system that allows for everyone else to dip into that money. I think that that is an incredibly unfair uh, position to be in. Imagine you are paying taxes, Mm -hmm. this happens, and you have no help. There is absolutely no safety Mm -hmm. net. And I don't believe that those are actual democratic values. How can you say, we're going to tax you, but you're not going to have access to any resources? So that's on the agenda right. for a lot of us that uh, do this kind of work that focus on these communities to be able to hopefully, and it's not going to happen overnight, uh, but that we're able to put some political pressure to change that. Are you finding solidarity amongst other members of the assembly in, in some of that, in that issue? Yes, and others there are several members of the legislature, and this is, a, this is also a priority to the Latino caucus. The question of how we do that mm-hmm. is is what we're trying to answer. Hmm. Wow. So, I, I want to put the agenda <laughs> back to me. <laughs> what, what, what do you want to see from citizens like me to be more civically engaged? What 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 would be like? Is is it about sharing these issues, or is it about getting out and 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 spreading certain certain messages? What what is the role of uh, you know, citizens right now, you think, in, in supporting 
uh, healthy oh, government. Oh, that's a great way of, of framing that question, Ethan, having a healthy government. I think being engaged, you know, um, not just being engaged only every four years for the super sexy presidential campaign, but that there are local campaigns and local mm -hmm. elections that are important. Who represents you on the school board? Who represents you on the city council? Who represents you uh, in the county if you live in areas that are unincorporated? If, um, you know, being engaged with my office and the assembly and the state senate as well, understanding what it is that we do and how we can be helpful. Um, and also, I would say, like, getting engaged on issues that maybe you're not totally familiar with, right? So if you're someone that, like, is super... Mm like into um, environmental justice and green jobs, that's awesome. Uh, and that's needed. But how those issues impact communities that maybe you may not be super familiar with is also important. So we talk a lot about, and I'll mm. say this as an example, we talk a lot about the Green New Deal. But in order to achieve the Green New Deal on a federal level, we can look at California as an example. California is already doing mm. the Green New Deal in many ways. And that has to do with the partnership between business and the trades. And so you have construction trades. You have all kinds of different trades that um, have been and will be impacted by the Green New Deal. When you go home, you t we're having this conversation because we were able to charge our phones. Electricity, where does it come right. from? Who are the workers that operate these plants? We want to rely solely on solar. or And I use we as a general, but a lot of people are talking about solar energy as like the one big thing that we should be focused on. And I think it's a, it's a great direction, but it shouldn't be the only direction. We need to figure out a way that we talk about the grid. Mm -hmm. The grid is, is what energizes, uh, empowers our community. And so there's, there's so many ways of looking at it. And so how do, you, how do you do that while at the same talking about the same time talking about jobs and that there are people that work at plants and facilities that rely on their jobs to pay their mortgage, to pay their rent, to sustain their families. No one wants to put people out of work, especially right now. So how do we create a place that right. uh, in, a, in a way in which we can transition and create jobs that are good, green energy jobs, but that also pay people a decent wage. Um, yeah, it sounds like mm -hmm. training is another component there, right? Being able to transition folks from less clean, potentially, right. to, to yeah. more and that And that's going to take time, and it's not going to mm. happen overnight. Um, as much as we want it to, it's, it's, um, it is a long conversation to have. It, you must be learning so <laughs> yeah, much in this role. I mean, learning about energy, learning about you know environmental practice and justice, learning about all mm -hmm. the political codes and systems in place and the taxation. What's one of the one things that you're like feel so dialed in that you would have known nothing about uh, before I'm learning you got elected? So much, um, but energy. I I'm fortunate to sit on. Um, Utilities and energy, it's a committee that actually looks at these issues and to and to fully like understand cool. the various different types of energy from solar to wind to coal to like there's so much and there's so much work that's in these fields. But 
it's like a, we are living at a brink of a new chapter and how we, how we engage and the plans that we do now will have an impact for decades to come. And so that's, I think, an exciting mm. part. It's like, a, like on the brink of a, of a new renaissance. And um, I'm just really fortunate to be a part of it and to engage and to come from a perspective of like, these are the communities that I represent. Uh, these are the working class communities that I represent. And we also want you know, to have clean energy and uh, obviously uh, clean environments. But we also ha- want to have good jobs. And so how do, how do, and we also want to be a part of mm-hmm. the conversation. So how, do, how we do that is the part that interests me the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of education necessary, not only for you, but uh, across the board and making sure that people are aware mm-hmm. of what opportunities are on mm-hmm. the table and how they can access them. Yeah. Wow. So are you finding silver linings through the pandemic? I've, I have seen community come together in ways that we haven't uh, seen in a long time. And even these, uh, if you, you're having fun and you're doing like these Zoom happy hours with your friends and, I think people are reconnecting in ways that um, maybe have been forgotten for a long time and really understanding and appreciating closeness and appreciating each other because we live in a fast world, right? City of LA, like fast and bustling, always stuck in traffic, you know, and, and now we get to pause and be forced to pause in many ways um, and really look at things, at things differently. And, Look, like we're fortunate if you're fortunate enough to be listening to this podcast and you've been quarantining at home and maybe bored out of your mind right? and, and you know, you want to go out and you want to <laughs> go to a restaurant and a movie and hang out with friends like I get that. I get I totally get that. But then we also have to sit back and say, man, like I'm not a, 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 a first responder. I'm not at a hospital working with COVID Mm -hmm. patients, right? I'm not an essential worker risking my health at a grocery store. Or I'm not a farm worker that doesn't have any personal protective equipment and I'm picking the food that you're going to go buy at Whole Foods later. So there's all these different levels, I think, of of, um, just awareness and at the same time, a cognitive dissonance to being in your space and not see like how everyone else is being impacted because we are isolated. But I think it's now like, mm. it's incredibly refreshing to take note that the essential worker is the grocery store worker, is that farm worker, is right. your trash collector and sanitation is like how like I'm sure if you're a parent Mm -hmm. and you have a child how much more you value that teacher now that you're having to do the teaching and social distancing yourself uh and and this is learning I mean and so like it's really brought to light I think um how undervalued um we took uh certain professions in the past yeah absolutely I felt that too it's like there feels like there's this shift and it's like the priorities for life mm-hmm. are being laid out. 
And it's like, we need to be putting our resources behind these priorities. And a lot of them are people and people that have mm-hmm. been undervalued. Restaurant workers, so right? Long. Like everyone. Yeah. I have to say Los Angeles has felt from, from a very comfortable home here. Los Angeles has felt really um, wonderful, not having the traffic and the, and the, and the, you know, it's felt cleaner. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that the air is a bit cleaner. And I, I wonder if there's anything that's going to come out of this where there will be permanent changes in terms of the lifestyle of residents. I see a lot more people riding bikes, obviously, mm-hmm. socially distantly, more people out on the streets exercising, not going mm-hmm. to the gym, you know, um, <laughs> people at home. But that means that they're taking advantage <laughs> of their gardens. I don't know. There's, I, I recognize, you know, this is a limited view and there's so many different lives being lived and many people are struggling. But there's also some beauty in this moment in this city that I think is worth, you know, so many animals are out right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's spring, summer, basically. So, so many of our friends are now professional bakers. It. I've seen a lot of banana, banana bread postings oh, on yeah. social media. Um <laughs> My kitchen is a sourdough <laughs> warehouse. There you go. There you go. It's happening. Um, I think I, I, I love what you said about just how much cleaner the air is. And this is why I think why I'm so fascinated by being on utilities and energy and why this conversation on solar and clean air and, and all these things are incredibly important is because if we can achieve a way that we can get to, you know, 100% renewable energy by 2045, which I'm a co-author on the piece of legislation that uh, SB 100 that was made into law last year. Um, We can achieve that if we make it accessible and affordable and reliable for everyone. But that's not the case because we currently don't have an energy grid to support it. If I bought an electric vehicle tomorrow, Hmm. where would I charge it? Right. If I live in an apartment complex mm-hmm. with, let's, let's say, a small one with like 10 apartments, does that apartment complex have the chargers necessary for that vehicle? Probably not. If you live in a lot of these historic neighborhoods like we do, right, what's the capability of charging mm-hmm. that, uh, that vehicle and how do we make that more accessible? So this, I think, pandemic has, has brought to light the possibility of what can be, right? Now we need to plan and finance the necessary um, movement moving forward to actually make it a reality. And and that's going to be hard. That's going to be the Mm. hard part in like creating an infrastructure that um, can support that. I was, I, I will share this, like I was in a, a group meeting with a bunch of folks talking about we need affordable housing, we need uh, low-income housing, we need to build more, we need to build faster, right? And I was like, all of that sounds great, that sounds great. Mm -hmm. And in that, I was also like, well, we should also be talking to experts in energy because what's the point of building more affordable housing or low-income housing and more housing Mm -hmm. in general same time building the energy infrastructure necessary to produce clean energy it goes hand in hand right and so that's exciting i think 
little ner- ner- nerdy moment, but super exciting. That's really. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's why, again, like I think this new right. energy frontier um, is an important piece of, of, of the next thing we're going to tackle and that why more folks from our communities need to be engaged in that conversation. Hmm. Well, I, we're coming up on the hour mark, but there's one other issue that I really want to just get your, your thoughts on and understand kind of where you're at from, from the position of the assembly, which is houselessness in Los Angeles has one of the, the largest populations in the country, if not the largest and continues to grow, it seems every day. Um, how does that show up on your radar and, and how are you finding kind of remedies um, obviously, building low-income housing is important, but um, are there other how, like specific programs that you're working on targeted towards? Well, the I think population? most urgently we have to address issues of mental health. So I think even through this pandemic, we've mm-hmm. seen um, the direction that as long as we put someone under a roof, it'll be fine. That's not necessarily the case, uh, and so there are different tiers of um, mm. the unhoused. There's chronic homelessness. You've been living on the street for years and years, decades even. And you're going to need, that individual is going to need wraparound services to understand um, being in a home again. Uh, And even if Mm -hmm. that individual wants to be in a home or not. And so what do you do then? How do you address that? Uh, What if... You're not capable of making that decision for yourself. What if you need mental health assistance? That's a huge part of the conversation. What if you've been uh, someone that's been living paycheck to paycheck and are now living in your car? That's a different type of situation. What if you're a family? Um, Mm -hmm. There's been rules in the past, for example, where um, families weren't able to get assistance together, right? It's like, women and children only at shelters, and then the men at other shelters. And the idea of family shelters is a fairly new concept. Um, and I, you know, the, the separation of the family, I think is important to address. Um, and so it, it's, it's tiered. And um, sometimes the bureaucracy can take a long time to be able to help someone whether it's, you know, paperwork at a different agency or a department or not knowing where to go, uh, our shelters in downtown L.A. being super um, filled with people that need assistance. Um, maybe if you just found yourself to be homeless, you don't want to go to Skid Row. You don't want to go to a shelter in downtown L.A., right? So what are the additional resources available? How does the state put money into departments and mm. counties that are able to address issues of mental health? How do we change certain laws where that funding can be uh, expedited and given to organizations that have proven track records of doing the work? It's, it's a lot. And I think it requires at this moment in time just some more innovative thinking. Yeah. Yeah, it's an issue that mm-hmm. um, obviously hits close to home for us both and, and is one that I, I think about a lot and um, feels very present in Los Angeles. Um, and yeah, I'm, 
anxious to hear how uh, things develop and, and also just getting back to the what we can do as uh, locals, obviously, and supporting the community on a case-by-case basis in those institutions that do exist. Um, it's part of the, the count of our local community recently and for the census and for off, get, getting resources out, but always well, interested. I think in, that we also need to be supportive be of law enforcement. Stewards. I've spoken to law enforcement who is tasked mm. by the city of Los Angeles, LAPD is tasked by the city of Los Angeles to clean up certain areas of, you know, our community that are uh, a blight. And with that is also an unhoused population that uh, may be doing drugs, may be participating in human trafficking. Prostitution is still very real. Uh, I know of female police officers who have been um, also personally attacked by homeless individuals. Um, one in particular in a, in a cleanup was um, stabbed with a needle. And these are real things that law enforcement is also facing. Uh, there's a, a real um, mm-hmm. issue of drugs. Um, again, as I mentioned, human trafficking, prostitution, um, all kinds of things that go on in, in a very, um, it's almost like a, a, a different society in many ways uh, that we are not a part of. And, but we are trying to fix it in different ways and sometimes don't fully understand um, what goes on in certain communities, in certain tent communities. And so I think it's, it's, a, it's also about us as a society mm-hmm. saying how much, how much more of this are we able to, to sustain? Because it's not sustainable. These, you know, people are, are, are moving and, um, you know, also creating uh, dangers for, for other residencies here in, in, in our community up in Eagle Rock by the 134 freeway. There was a tent, there was an encampment. Uh, right across or a block away or so from a school in which kids had to cross this encampment. Mm. Or if you're a parent walking your child to school, cross this encampment, um, go to the school. And so people are walking on the street mm-hmm. because they can't walk on the sidewalk. There's, a, there's photos that I've been shown by other mm-hmm. residents and constituents of people in wheelchairs not able to actually use the sidewalks and are using the street to be able to just cross and go like for a few blocks because of the encampments. Businesses that are saying, I can't conduct my business because Mm -hmm. I have an encampment right outside my business. That's also not okay. So how do we fully address it um, Mm. in a way that's humane, in a way that uh, helps our community in a way that puts resources and funding where it's needed um, and hopefully address it. Hmm. Yeah, there's so many sides to this. I, I, through this podcast, I've just become acutely aware of the fact that there's no right, wrong, black, mm-hmm. white to anything. <laughs> and there's always so many dimensions. The binary <laughs> is a farce. <laughs> and... Um, you know, whether it's, you know, sexual or anything else and uh, racial or anything like that. So I, 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 yeah, I think it's, you bring up excellent points and it's so important to recognize all the, the folks who are 
involved um, in any of these issues and, and what mm-hmm. role we have to play and who, who needs support um, and, and how we can most effectively give that. Um, Wendy, this has been a, a fantastic conversation. <laughs> I'm so glad we got to do it. We've been talking about it for <laughs> months. Feels like longer, but um, where can people find you? Well, for anything, you you know, regarding um, what my office can do to help you on any state issues, whether it's unemployment, um, DMV issues, anything that the state can regulate on, you can always go to um, my state website, which I am forgetting at the moment. But if you Google, um, yeah. Wendy Carrillo Assembly District 51, it's like 8051 something. Um, you can find me on Twitter, obviously at, uh, at okay. Wendy Carrillo or at ASM Carrillo. That's short for assembly member Carrillo. Um, and we're very, we're very active in posting information mm-hmm. that's important to our, our district and our constituents. We did a, a full guide by the way of, um, uh, everything related to COVID-19 and resources. So when it comes to food pantries, uh, what's happening with LAUSD and education distance learning, uh, every update from if you're a renter that can't pay their rent and how to negotiate with your landlord to be able to do that and, and have tenants mm. that are not able to pay a rent. Also, what are your rights and what you what is the process that you should be engaging in with your tenants? Uh, if you are a homeowner and have a mortgage payment and you're not able to or uh, have a mortgage payment and you can't pay your mortgage, what to do and how to you know, help yourself and your family during this if you have questions. So we put together this guide um, as a one-stop shop for everything that you may need. Um, and that's also available uh, through my that's Medium uh, page at ASM Carrillo and also on the, on the assembly website. <laughs> You're very welcome. Thank you fun. so much, Wendy.
for listening to Love Extremist Radio. If you like this podcast, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. If you want to learn more about being a love extremist, check out www.extremist.love and follow Love Extremist on Instagram and Facebook. Find me also on Instagram at Ethan Lipsitz. Hope to hear from you soon. Peace. Love is the truth. Love is the truth.